Now, if you're not aware, chess is uh, one of my favorite pastimes. In a way, it's replaced all the computer games I used to play. Uh, these days, I pretty much just play chess. Um, and in many ways, it, it gives you everything you'd ever want out of a computer game. Um, it's got amazing uh, tactics. It's got amazing uh, problem solving. It's got, uh, you can give yourself a, a rush, a thrill as you race the clock to play your opponent. Uh, you can play online, play people from around the world who uh, the computer will match it up. So you play someone that's about your level. So you always get really good games and it's a great brain workout, um, which is the main benefit that you can get out of playing computer games. So uh, I love chess. I've been getting into it more and more lately, learning some of the opening moves, learning about the history, and I thought I'd fill you in today um, on what's been going on in the world of chess, um, at least the things that I find interesting. So uh, the first thing I want to talk about is computers and how they have influenced chess over the years. You may have heard recently about uh, these computers that are um, teaching themselves to play chess, and they've got so good, so fast, that they've pretty much changed the way people see the game. Des this is despite the fact that humans have been studying chess for thousands of years. Um, I don't know, maybe the earliest chess uh, dates back to the BC years. But that's a game that stuck around, which is testament to uh, how how solid of a game it is. That and also that we're still finding new breakthroughs in chess today, still discovering new strategies, new tactics. The game certainly hasn't been solved. Um, whereas checkers, chess's cousin, where you you know the pieces move diagonally and jump each other, that has been solved. Uh, and solved means um, there's computers that are good enough to analyze every possible game of checkers and calculate the outcome in every line. So there's computers that, that are good enough, and if they play each other at checkers, guarantee the result will be a draw. Checkers is a solved game. Everyone knows it's a draw. Of course, humans still play it because we're not as good as computers, and we make mistakes, so it's still very entertaining uh, for humans to play checkers. Chess is not solved yet, and it's not really getting close either. It's There's so many possible combinations of games. It's hard to fathom it would ever be solved unless um, quantum computers get really good. But that's another topic. Now, uh, the computers in chess. Originally, um, computers sucked. Uh, the way they played was they valued every piece. And so the better the piece, the higher the value. A pawn had a value of one. A knight had a value of three. And a queen had a value of nine. Uh, a bishop had a value of three. And a rook or castle had a value of five. So every computer would always add up these values, and when the computer decided what to do, it would consider, okay, if I do this move, 
uh, I'm going to kill his thing and he'll kill mine thing. And it might be able to calculate a few moves ahead. And then it would compare these values to work out how best to proceed. Very simple uh, machine, but that was good enough uh, to give a challenge to most people. Still, once uh, it tried to play grandmasters or just good chess players, the computer had pretty much no chance. But that all started to change in 1990s when Microsoft started putting a lot of resources into developing a chess playing computer. Now, why did they do this? Uh, lots of people said it was for lex at how um, powerful their computers could be. Uh, also, um, it's you know, it's symbolically, it's a pretty big breakthrough if a human can lose to a computer at this kind of brain game. You know, symbolically, it shows computers' brains have evolved past humans. So. It's always been a big deal, and it came to a head in 1993 or 5, one of those years, when the number one human chess player at the time, and probably, arguably the best chess player of all time, Gary Kasparov, played up against Microsoft's chess computer, Deep Blue. And the game was very close. But after, I think, the third game, the human player was uh, losing. And it was this particular game that was very controversial, so much so that Kasparov, the human, um, uh, accused the computer of cheating. Now, specifically, he accused the people that were controlling the computer, but the computer made a move that went up against all previous known held beliefs on how computer moves. Before then, everyone thought, okay, computers always consider the value of the pieces, like what I said before, pawns are worth one, queens are worth nine, yada, yada. And so they're unable to look deep into the computer, into the position. They can't look ahead 10 moves or 20 moves and see what's going to happen. All they can see is a few moves ahead. And that's how computers kind of worked at the time. Um, but in this particular game, the computer made a move which showed a deep understanding of the th thematic strat strategies of chess. It, it basically made a human move, so much so that Kasparov accused um, the computer's team of interfering. He said that one of the people controlling the computers override, overrode the computer and made a move themselves. And so the game continued. <clears throat> it wasn't resolved. Kasparov was angry. In the end, he lost. And he uh, demanded a rematch. Not just because of that, he also raised some additional things. He said, um, the computer was able to study all my games because that's known. And it could, um, it could specifically, they could put in moves that try and beat me in my style of chess, whereas I wasn't allowed to see the computer's previous games. Um, it said the computer was allowed to use um, all these, all this programming which enabled it not to think about a move, um, but rely on a thing in chess called table bases, which is where the computer has all these certain moves mapped into it. Um, and instead of having to, um, think about the move itself, 
if it recognizes one of these maps, it just plays that move. I can't really explain it very well, but um, it's pretty much a cheat sheet. Um, anyway, it was a lot of controversy. He demanded a rematch. Microsoft refused, and that was that. They Microsoft declared the victory, and Deep Blue won, and Kasparov to this day is still pissed off about that match. Now, that was pretty much the turning point. After that moment, um, computers just went on to get better and better and better, and humans, we stayed about the same. And these days, uh, it's pretty much impossible for a human to even draw a computer. Like, the best player in the world could play a computer in 50 games, and they'd be lucky to draw one. Every other game, the computer would win. Very one-sided. Now, um, getting back to what I said at the start, um, they've got to a point where computers, uh, this came as a big shock, but taking up the mantle from Microsoft, Google decided to get into chess. And they developed a computer of their own, which you may have heard about. It was called AlphaZero. And AlphaZero is a supercomputer which means it's um, got really, really powerful processors. Think of it as maybe millions of laptops in one. It's just got a ridiculous amount of power. And they essentially taught their computer to play chess within four hours. Okay, it played itself for four hours. Millions of times. It's so powerful. It was able to play itself millions of times. And from doing that, it used machine learning, which is a new type of programming, to learn how to play the game. Now, before this point, um, every computer that could play was taught by humans how to play. We taught it how to analyze positions, what moves to make, how to value things. But this was the first time there was no human involvement. All this, all AlphaZero was told, this supercomputer, was these are the rules of chess. This is how the pieces move. This is how you win. This is how you lose. Play yourself. And you look at the first games that it played against itself, and it was just borderline retarded. It, it just moved things completely at random. One side, one Alpha Zero A lost, Alpha Zero B won, whatever, but it learnt. And as I said, after the four hours, it played itself millions and millions of times. And... It then challenged the best computer in the world at the time, which was called Stockfish, and destroyed it. It completely destroyed it, and it did so in a way uh, that was almost romantic. Some of the strategies and tactics that this new supercomputer used, the Google su supercomputer AlphaZero, was just beautiful. Um, and humans everywhere were blown away by what this computer had done and and to this day this happened by the way i think three years ago uh to this day that's heavily influenced the way chess is played and uh so you might be wondering why do humans even bother playing now if a computer will just destroy us every time a computer's way better than us why don't we just watch computers play well it turns out that watching humans is fun there's a lot of mistakes which are actually fun they make they make the game fun to watch fun to play uh there's a lot of drama there's a lot of emotion 
Okay, there's a lot of storylines, and that's why it doesn't matter how good computers get at things. Um, it's never going to kill that or kill the sport. Like, for example, people are trying to make robots that can ride motorcycles, and they're getting pretty damn good at it. But will it ever kill professional motorcycle riding? No. Now, uh, with that note, I was going to fill you in on some of the drama that goes on in chess. You know, what am I talking about? This passion, it's just chess. These are just some nerds. They sit at the table, they play. That's that, right? Well, you'd be surprised. Um, sometimes you, you know, you might think you're watching chess, but then these players, they, they get very dramatic and there's lots of tension and passion. Um, it might as well be like they're going to fight each other or something. And I'll give you a few examples. Uh, uh, well, yeah, and, and the first example I'll give you, okay, sorry, before I do that, uh, one other thing I wanted to say. Um, all this computer's getting better and better. Another way that it's changed the game is before the average chess player was in their 40s, okay? And you could have grandmasters into their 60s, 70s, still at the top of the game. Um, why? Because they were very experienced and lots of them had great brains, great memories. They could remember every position they played and they, um, they used that experience to stay at the top of the game. Uh, well, now that computers are such an intricate part of players training and uh, learning new strategies this means that that experience isn't as valuable and now the average age of a good chess player is basically in their 20s once you're you're hitting your mid 30s it's it's borderline this guy's over the hill he's not going to be at the top he's not going to win a super championship anymore it's almost like they're professional athletes who have to retire because physically in their mid-30s, they can't keep up. Well, in chess, the brain, it seems, you know, it's a muscle, as they say. It's the same deal. Once your brain gets to your mid-30s, it's just a bit too slow. And there's a particular player who highlights this who's came onto the scene last year as a 15-year-old from Iran. His name's Faruja. And he, he, he already looks like he's borderline top three in the world, world champion level. He finds, he finds tactics that the best players in the world don't see, which is very rare. He'll sometimes just completely bamboozle his opponent, the commentators, everyone. It, it blows you away. And, um... Uh, this particular guy, he, as I said, he's from Iran, but he's had to quit the country because they banned him from playing internationally because Iran's in a feud with, uh, Israel. And if he had have played internationally, Israel's very good at chess too. Uh, he would be playing some Israeli chess players and Iran did not want that. So they, uh, did not allow him to get, to leave the country, to get a visa, to fly or whatever to play these tournaments. So he had to renounce that. He, he said, I'm not playing for Iran. And I think now he plays for France. I, it blew my mind. Cause I thought like, you know, it's, you've got 
a young chess prodigy. That's such a thing of pride for your country. Like, fair enough. Oh, we've got a good runner. We've got a good swimmer. Whatever. Okay, they're they're an athlete. I mean, that's cool. Don't get me wrong. But a chess prodigy? That means you've got one of the smartest people on the planet in your country. I don't know why you'd want to lose that. Surely that's a thing of national pride. But yeah, Iran gave it up just for some petty little reason. Anyway, the guy, um, he burst onto the scene a year ago in a game against the then world champion, Magnus Carlsen. You may have heard the name. He's a big guy in chess. And in this game, he got the better of Carlsen and he was ready to put him away. When his time got low, uh, like chess plays with clocks and you'll have say five minutes to make all your moves. After you make a move, you hit the clock and it stops and then your opponent's clock starts ticking down. They make their move, they hit their clock, and then yours starts ticking, and that's how chess is played. Um, so he got to a point where he only had a few seconds left on his clock. It was a very tense game. Even though he was winning, he actually ran out of time on his clock. Now, normally when you run out of time on your clock, that means you just automatically lose the game. But... At that moment, his opponent, Magnus Carlsen, world number one, maybe one of the greatest players ever, he only had a king and a bishop left. Okay, the guy, Ferugia, was ready to win. He had pawns. He had a a bishop, a knight. He was definitely going to win, but he ran out of time. Carlsen only had the king and the bishop, and... Normally, I don't know if you know this in chess, normally if you only have a king and a bishop, you can't win. It's impossible to checkmate the opponent king with just those two pieces. You need at least a king and a rook or a king and a bishop and a knight. He only had a king and a bishop, but it just so happened the rules in that tournament were as long as it's possible in that position to find a win then the win counts. And it just so happened that that Ferruja's pieces, his pawn, his knight, his bishop, were in such a position that technically Magnus Carlsen could have won. With just his king and bishop, he could have won because it would be possible for Ferruja to box himself in in his own pieces and lose the game. Why would anyone do that? He'd, he'd have to be borderline retarded. Like there's no way anyone would ever voluntarily put their king in a little corner just to let you kill them with a bishop. But that was the rules of the tournament. Carson won the game, and that caused a big rule change in chess. Anyway, that I know that got a bit complicated. I I found that interesting. I hope you can understand this, by the way. Um... And that that's the end. I'll be, I won't be technical anymore. I'll get to some, the drama now that I promised earlier. Uh, the first piece of drama is there was the chess world championship on a few months ago. One of the contestants pulled out. It was set to be in Russia. He said, the coronavirus is such a problem. This is in March. He said this early March. Um, and you haven't done anything about it. I'm pulling out. So he got replaced, and then halfway through the tournament, they cancelled the tournament because of coronavirus. So the guy said, um, you need to 
refund, like you need to pay me some of the prize money or refund me or do something because this is BS, okay? You said you don't care about coronavirus. Now you cancel the tournament. Like, why didn't you do it before? Then I would have never had to quit. And uh, that they're really in a pickle now. Um, I mean, I don't know what you think, but uh, is it is it okay to put him back in the tournament? Anyway, I'll move on from that. I'll get to the chess drama. And I know this is a very specific topic. If, you, if you're bored listening, feel free to turn it off. Uh, the third piece of drama is elitism in chess. Elitism in chess. Now, this has come to the, to the spotlight two weeks ago. And it's because lots of chess players these days stream their chess online. And it's become such a big deal. Some of them have half a million followers. That's how popular it's become lately, watching people play chess online. And um, elitism in chess, its what that means is lots of bad players, lots of amateurs are starting to take up chess. And uh, they're complaining that they... They try and learn the game. They try and make comments and get better. But lots of people like throw insults at them because they're so bad at it, because they're amateurs. And um, one player in particular who's the most popular streamer, um, Nakamura, an American, top 10 in the world, he embraced this. He started letting all these amateurs come onto his stream and he gave them lessons. He's a pretty likable guy. As I said, he's got like half a million followers. And he basically said, you know, F this. If anyone wants to learn, I'm going to try and help him out. And you can come on, I'll help you. And he organized a tournament with 50,000 prize money just for amateurs to play. And it's on right now. You can watch it. There are these amateurs, streamers that normally play other computer games. And it's hugely popular. Now, the same time this is happening, there's another chess company who's the opposite. They're very, like, professional, very technical. Um, they've and and they're basically backed by number one in the world, Magnus Carlsen. Okay, now he um organized a tournament recently with $1 million prize money as a means to help promote his company. Because, you know, not only is he the best in the world at chess, he also owns a company, which is a chess website that you can sign up for and play. And so he hosted this event on his chess website. In that event, he invited Nakamura, who's like, you know, the Robin Hood, he plays with all the crappy chess players to compete. And while Nakamura was competing, he streamed the competition on his own Twitch. And he was getting like 50,000 viewers, tons and tons of viewers. The tournament itself was only getting like 5,000 viewers. So his stream was 10 times popular. They were pissed because they put a million dollars prize money in to try and advertise, to make a splash. And he kind of stole their thunder. 
So halfway through the tournament, Magnus Carlsen tweeted at him and said, you're not allowed to stream it. He tweeted back and showed messaging history where he, where Nakamura asked, can I tweet this? Magnus Carlsen said, yes. And so he only went back on his word. He went back on his word just because Nakamura was so popular. Nakamura then said, all these people, these 50,000 people coming, they're all amateurs anyway. And if I didn't stream, they wouldn't watch it. Like, I'm not stealing people off you. These are people I drew in myself. And, you know, you're being childish. (laughs) Turns out at that tournament, Magnus Carlsen and Nakamura both played very good and met each other in the semi-final. And it was a highly competitive game. Nakamura won. He he beat Carson, and he never beats Carson. Like his whole career, he loses to Carson. He beat him, and confidently. Um, it was a big statement, and uh, the drama basically didn't end. Um, it's still going on. We don't know where it'll end. And one further little twist, cherry on top. He beat so Nakamura beat Carson in the semi. He went on to the final and played another guy who is kind of Carson's friend. And before that game, Nakamura had said, I expect to win the final easily. He said, like, I'm it's me and Magnus Carson that are the best two, so whoever wins our match should win the, the final. Well, <laughs> surprise, surprise, the guy he played in the final got pissed off when he heard that and came out and played really well, beat Nakamura. And in his post-match interview, he really trashed Nakamura hard. He said, like, you know, I think he's kind of stupid. Why would you say something like that? All he did was give me all this extra motivation. Um, It's not very professional or mature. And (laughs) he really, you know, came out hot after Nakamura. And that's another storyline that hasn't been resolved. So uh, the, the world in chess is kind of um, full of all this drama at the moment. And that is a lot, but uh, honestly, chess has a lot of drama. Uh, anyway, that's, uh, I just thought I'd fill you in in case you're ever curious w- what, what's going on with professional chess these days. So I hope you understood that. hope um, you found it interesting. And that's the end of that one. Bye-bye.